This is a Lip Media Podcast. Deviant women, deviant women, deviant women, deviant women, deviant women. And welcome to Deviant Women. This is the podcast where we talk to you about deviant women from history, mythology, literature, and contemporaneity. I'm Alicia. And I'm Lauren. What's happening, Lauren? It's the penultimate <gasps> episode of season three. The penultimate episode. Will we be back? Will we? For season four. Dun, dun, dun. Yes. Yeah, let's do it. Should okay. we just should we agree to do that now? Agreed, because you know we haven't talked about it privately between <laughs> us. We'll so shake on it. Probably best if we talk about it now on, on the podcast, on live, on air. Are we actually going to sh- we'll shake? We'll on shake it. on it. Look, look, oh, we did it. We shook. We literally shook hands. We did. We're, I had my that fingers means we're crossed. done. We're we're promised we're back next season yeah. in twenty twenty. Oh my word! Entering the roaring twenties. Can you believe it? It's well, I can. It's been a long time coming. I don't know really what to say about it, do I? I've got nothing. I've got nothing. I but actually have a 20s-themed episode for next week because... Oh, yeah. You didn't it, end up telling me who it was. No, because it is the last episode of the season and I would like to lead us into the 20s with an episode based largely in the 20s. We're going to go to the roaring 20s. It's, but that's... Next fortnight. Is that your Roaring Twenties voice? That's my Roaring Twenties voice. <laughs> I like it. I want you to do that for the whole the next en- decade. The entire episode. No. I will be talking like, no? Not the episode. The entire the, decade. The next decade of your life. That won't get old. The whole next decade of your life. <laughs> I want you to talk like that. Uh, I won't shake on that one. Okay. I will give it some thought. Sure. I feel like you will lose all of mm. your friends and family if you do that. <laughs> So that's interesting because we'll be going to the 20s and I feel a little bit guilty because uh, we're also going to be in the 20th century in this episode as well. The 20th century, but that's fine. We've been in the 20th century so many times this series. I don't hear anybody complaining. Oh, okay, good. Well, in that case, it doesn't matter. (laughs) So today... Literally nobody has complained about it thus far. Excellent. Well, because today we're going to talk about something that is... Like weirdly near and dear to my heart while also simultaneously being a bit of a, like a frenemy. Oh. And that frenemy, I think is everyone's favourite frenemy, Disney. Oh, you're talking, are you talking about the like the conflict of the magic of the wonder and nostalgia of how amazing Disney is and all of the magical memories that you have of Disney? Versus the giant corporation that correct <laughs> yes versus and how conflicted you feel about that versus the fact that if you were going to give like capitalism a flag you would give it the Walt Disney Productions they logo are taking whatever. over the world they own everything literally they probably already own they probably own this podcast, this podcast. <laughs> that's what I was going to say they probably already own us <laughs> so we have to be very careful it's only about a matter of time they, they also Alicia they also own all of our magical childhood memories so <laughs> not all of them but many of them Most they of them. did try to buy out a lot of my other childhood memories but they didn't <laughs> manage to do it like they tried to buy out the Jim Henson company oh, but it never went through right. because Jim Henson died oh 
And so the deal. I mean, I knew that he died, but I didn't know that the Disney stuff. To avoid defamation, I suppose. I shouldn't. (laughs) I shouldn't like drag Disney through the. We love Disney. Look. In many ways we do and in many ways we don't. But You love Disney. Do not even do. try for a second to try to convince me that you don't deep in your heart adore Disney. Many Disney things, yes. <laughs> and this particular Disney thing that we're going to be talking about today is one of my favourite Disney things. Mm-hmm. And it is probably... She is, I should say, mm. she instead of it. Um, <laughs> and interesting, I th- I'm, I'm wondering where everybody thinks we're going to go right now. Although, uh, like, as we used to always forget, like, you, <laughs> you know, it. because it's on the episode description, but like. You've read the blurb. It's not a character of Disney, is it? No, it's, it's not. not. It's a real alive boy. It's woman. A, li- a real alive boy. <laughs> I was just but that my... was a Disney reference. Exactly. It was a Disney reference. Yeah. I feel like we should try and get as many in, into this episode Ooh, as we can. Challenge no, let's accepted. not do that. But we'll see how we go. I've only got Beauty and the Beast reference. <laughs> You've got more than that, I I'm do. sure. But this woman, today's woman, Mary Blair, there. Mary We've Blair. We've said a name. It's out. It's out in the world. She is an absolutely fundamental cornerstone of the Disney story. Mm. But she is probably one that you wouldn't think of when you I think of Disney. I honestly had never heard of her before this episode. She is an artist who artists now, illustrators, animators, people working at Disney, people in that sort of community, if you mention her name to them, they'll automatically mm. know who she is. She's iconic. She's legendary. Yeah. She's so very, very tightly connected to the Disney story that she's certainly not an obscure, completely obscure figure. But she's also not a household name. No. She's also not someone that, you know, everybody knows. You know if you're in the biz. If you're in the biz, Mm. if this is your bag, then you will know Mm. who Mary Blair is and it is my bag. Cool. She's in my bag. Open your bag and pull (laughs) out your Mary Blair lamp. Your endless – there was a Mary Poppins reference. That's it was, Disney. but I Come thought on. it was some kind of innuendo, <laughs> but I'm glad it was actually Mary Poppins. You reference. said – you did. said try and get them all in. We will. <laughs> Open Stop your it. carpet bag. Stop it. And let me in. They all sound rude. Stop <laughs> it. Do you want – Shall I open my carpet bag and let you in? Please. Oh. Please mm. open your carpet bag and let me in. <laughs> to the world, the magical world of Mary Blair. Look, we'll embrace it yeah. and we'll carry on. So, Mary Blair, we're going to start, obviously, with the year she was born. Oh, we always do. Let's do it. So, she was born in 1911 in McAllister, Oklahoma. So, why are you pulling that face? I, just, I guess I've never heard of McAllister, Oklahoma, <laughs> but why would I have that? I don't know. It, so. it probably doesn't matter. Oklahoma. You've heard of Oklahoma. Yes. That's all you need to know. And she was born Mary Brown Robinson. So, now, obviously, 1911, Oklahoma. Dust Bowl? Yeah. Where are we headed? Mm. Great Depression. You love a Dust Bowl story I as well. I fucking love the Great I Depression. I just it's love it. A- it was a terrible time. It was a terrible, awful time. But I think that's why I like it. I don't mm. know where this is going. I, I think it's just one of those periods of history that I find really, really fascinating. Yeah, you, you like it because you find it very interesting, not because you like that it happened. No, and I think it also because it's a period of history that maybe we should have learnt some lessons mm. from by now mm. because it was really a man-made catastrophe because yeah. just of like over-farming the land. Yeah, and not looking up, like an ecological kind of disaster. It was a man-made ecological disaster. And hey, everybody, (laughs) look where we are again. 
history repeats and yeah, anyway. 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 <laughs> her parents moved around a lot from Oklahoma to Texas and then finally settled into California in 1918. So she had a fairly sort of stable upbringing here in California, went on to complete high school and then she went to the San Jose State College to major in fine arts mm. because she'd already, of course, been showing a bit of talent and a bit of interest in the old fine arts. That's not uncommon. It's not uncommon at all. And I, I know we've done a lot of artists this season as well. In every season. Every season. We like but our artists. We do. And I think that there's just something so interesting to think about how female artists function in their particular periods mm. of history, mm. which is, and of the, course. And the place where they're born as well. Precisely. Mm. So I think that this is hugely going to play into Mary's story as we go along. So after graduating from university in 1931, she won a scholarship to the Chenard Art Institute in Los Angeles, which was quite a prestigious art institute. And here she studied under the tutelage of Pruitt Carter, who I don't know if you've known, ever heard of that name before. No, literally means nothing to me. You said it as though it should, should it? That's all right. No, not really. Pruitt Carter was part of what was known as the California Watercolour. I want to say gang, but that's <laughs> so not what they're called. The California watercolor gang. Imagine that, and they rock around. It's nineteen twenties, and they're like in the cowboy Stabbing boots at you. with their watercolors that they shoot from their pistols. Yes, precisely. Like no water pistols, but watercolors. It's not it at all. It's the California sh- School of Watercolor, is uh-huh. what I was trying to think of, which I suppose was somewhat different to sort of the standard way that we might think about watercolor. And I know this sounds probably sounds like really boring stuff to people who are like watercolor. Are you going to give me like an hours worth of a talk on watercolour. <laughs> but this again comes back to that idea of artists in their time and how they were actually advancing art in the early mm. part of last century, the the new techniques and styles that were coming through that, of course, we take for granted today. Sure. And yeah. you could do any of this sort of stuff now and it seems so simple. But, of course, there were so many really revolutionary advances and even the consideration of how you put the human form on down on a piece of paper. Yeah, yeah. And not even the, the human form but the world you see around you because, yeah. of course, we'd had Impressionism uh, which was so incredibly shocking and different mm. and breaking down that kind of sense of, of realism. And that a lot of this kind of fed into the California School of Watercolour and the fact that really what they would use is they would use bold, bright, contrasting colours. They would use abstract forms and shapes. And it's interesting because when I think of watercolours, I tend to not think of things that are particularly bold. Yes, exactly, you because know? it's that washed out yeah. kind of watercolour kind yeah. of idea, isn't it? But this was much more about sort of changing up what you could do with that particular medium yeah. and making it into something different. Watercolour is that sort of thing that also gives you a great range of depth and distance, whereas they were also interested in sort of like the flattening out of depth of space. Mm-hmm. So it was a very sort of different way of approaching it. And that's important for us to know because it might seem really trivial and, as, as I said, watercolour wank that yeah. probably people <laughs> nobody gives water a fuck about. Watercolour wank. <laughs> watercolour wank that no one gives a fuck about. But it actually sets up for us the kind of artist that Mary is going to become. Okay. So she studied here in the early 1930s and um, she also won a design competition for Cannon Mills um, while she was at Chenard. And she won in 1932 
hundred dollars. That's not bad. For that? in nineteen thirty-two. I've got no idea what the conversion it's rate would be. Probably about seven thousand dollars. I don't know. I made that. <laughs> I made that up, but maybe not that much. But a, a but substantial a amount of yeah, money. A lot. And it was also here while while studying and winning amounts of money that we can't convert <laughs> that she met one. Lee Blair. Blair, Mr. Blair. Mr. Blair. Do you know I just associate the name Blair with <laughs> exorcisms? And so when what? you say the name Mary Blair. Because of Linda Blair. Because of Linda Blair. And so every time you say Mary Blair, I really want to think of like a, a 70s horror movie. No, that was last episode. But it's such a different thing that it's we're talking so about. so different. Last episode was all <laughs> darkness and possession and heads spinning around, yeah. which is why this week we're going to Happy Colourful right, Land. Colourfuls. Okay? Yeah. So just come on. So Mr. Blair is not a no. creature. He's not a reverend. He's not a horror He's not an exorcist character. No, no definitely not. He's just a sweet young man. He's just a dude. He's just a dude studying watercolour. Took a fancy to our Mary. And Mary and Lee get a bit close, you know. Was it a nice courtship? Did they have a lovely time together? I feel like they did. I feel like they had some, like, nice did sexy some, times. where they painted banter. Yeah, and then they painted each other, like, mm. with sexily. With, probably what happened was Lee was like, would you be interested in posing nude for me? <laughs> nude for nude. me to paint? And she was like, oh, I couldn't. Boy. I couldn't possibly. Oh, mama. I don't know if she spoke like that. Uh, she didn't actually. I can assure you she didn't. <laughs> but the romance blossomed. Yeah. And by the time that they had graduated in 1934, the two were wed. The two the were two wed. wed. Happily like ever after. End of story. <laughs> good. What Darren, a good episode. Darren ends our story. Thank very, you so it was much. very Disney, Disney related. So Disney, wasn't it? <laughs> That's it. They're done. <laughs> but you can imagine they're these mm. two young people in love. Love They're artists. Yep. Yeah, they've got dreams. Passionate people. Passionate people. They begin to nurse a dream together of becoming. Fine artists. The greatest art pair in all of in the history. land. In history. And uh, supporting themselves yeah. on the art they believe in. The bohemian dream. Man, it is the bohemian dream. Of course. But it's also the Great Depression. Yes. <laughs> the, those bohemian dreams are not But to get be you fair, like a bohemian lifestyle actually really quite fits the Great Depression. It does. Because it's all about living a life of poverty Correct. in an attic somewhere. Yeah, that's right. And um, getting tuberculosis. Yeah. Yeah. And not eating anything. Yeah. So they want to do this. They want to become the the real proper artists that they believe themselves mm. to be. Mm. But uh, they can't. So they give up on that oh. dream. They did they sell out? But they bam. sold out to the Disney company. So didn't they? soon they realized that they needed quote unquote real jobs. Oh no, they've yeah. gone to plan B. And they found their real jobs in animation. Of course. Which of course both believed at that time to not be real art. Yeah, to be yeah. pretty much beneath their fine <sighs> art standards and their training to begin with. Fit. But of course, this is not how they felt for Fit rude. Yeah, exactly. This is not how they felt for their whole lives. Mm. But at the start it was when really they were young just, and right. they were like we're better than i've been there man <laughs> we've all been there you don't know how lie you've been yeah. there too because it's that thing of like you know i'm up working for the man yeah you in your suits yeah you sheeple you sheeple going off to your job look at you in your ivory towers in don't, your suits. don't you believe in the power of art no because essentially, I I go home and I watch Moulin Rouge and Rent every night because I'm a true artist. 
I'm living rent. That's, it's, right. that's how I live my life. <laughs> but no, they realised that they actually needed to pay the bills. Yeah. So animation was a budding industry. Mm, at least they didn't become teachers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lauren. Oh, Lauren. Don't drag ass through the dirt. <laughs> So animation was quite big at the time. It was booming because it was really quite well. When did Snow White come out? The that came out in the thirties. It, it did. It came out in the late thirties, nineteen thirty-seven, mm. and it was a massive success. It was, and it was Walt Disney's obsession with making a feature film of animation that would truly move people. Yeah. He wanted it to be a film that would make people cry. Yeah. And it did. It did. You know, I still remember this is oh, this is one of those stories, isn't it? I love those like, stories. Because I I was always Snow White. So because I was tall as a child and I was dark haired and fair and I had red lips and I was cast as Snow White in a number of things. But then I remember because so you towered over all the other I children. Did. Mm-hmm. I literally did. And yeah. Yes. They yes. were all dwarves compared to me, literally. But my gran, I remember her telling me about when she was a little girl and saw Snow White. And so <gasps> oh, I, wow. yeah. So for me, Snow White is this really nostalgic like I have this huge part of my childhood identity yeah. with Snow White and that relationship with Snow White and my mum who like sewed all of my Snow White costumes Aww. and like took me to, you know, dance when I was playing Snow White and my gran who had her like childhood, like this was like the film that was, I mean, changed everything for her like Aww. as a little girl watching Snow White and she went on to become such a massive like film buff. That's beautiful. Yeah. But just to ruin it for you. <laughs> oh, no. Do you know that Snow White is 14 in that film? What? The character of Snow White in that film is 14. No, don't tell me that. Yeah, I know. They go up in age. You know, when we get to Ariel, Ariel's 16. Oh, no. Aurora's 16. Uh, but still, they're getting married yuck. at 16. Yeah, that's not okay. Uh-huh. That's not okay. I didn't need to know that. Sorry. We'll <laughs> erase that from your beautiful memory about <laughs> your beautiful, About my beautiful. matrilineal connection <laughs> through multiple generations of women. To Snow White. Thank you. I'm so sorry (laughs) for just destroying that. (laughs) You didn't destroy it. But it's still important. Yeah. It's still very, very important. Yeah, so that film's still a little bit on the horizon and um, Mary hasn't started working at Disney yet. She doesn't start out at Disney. She actually starts out in the animation department at Metro Goldwyn Mayer and she wasn't there for very long at all before she and Lee both got work at the UB Iwerks Studios or UB Iwerks Oob. Studios. I don't actually know how to say his name. <laughs> UB Oob Iwerks. Okay. Iwerks. Sure. But UB Iwerks. UB Iwerks. But I'm assuming that that's a name you've never heard before. No. Yeah. So that's interesting too because the thing about him is he is actually the one who pretty much invented Mickey Mouse. Oh, is this what that Simpsons episode about the original Scratchy animation is about? It's very, very, very (laughs) tightly tied to this. Okay, Yes, that's right. Once again, the Simpsons has taught me a little bit of (laughs) 
a little bit Pop of cultural history. history that's just gone into your brain uh-huh. there and you're like oh i see yeah. yes <laughs> yeah because so disney and oob I'm sorry if I'm saying his name correctly, <laughs> incorrectly. They actually worked together in the very beginning and Disney wanted to create, you know, he was looking to kind of create this kind of happy-go-lucky kind of character. And so the first character that they designed together was Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. Oh, yeah. yeah it doesn't quite have the same ring to it, doesn't does it? doesn't have the same ring to it. Oswald but the Lucky, lucky Rabbit. rabbit. Mm. But um, they thought, no, we'll, take we'll, off. we'll keep working on that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll try and refine that. is a brainstorming. you got to work through it. You yeah. Know? Eventually, Disney ended up drawing a preliminary sketch for a little mouse. And mm-hmm. he was like, we're going to try this mouse idea. So he did actually draw the sort of the original sketches and come up with the original idea, but then he handed it off to Iwerks. Iwerks, yeah. Iwerks, and it was his job to refine it. So he refined him into the character that yeah, we okay, now know sure. of now. Yep. And he also did all the animation for Steamboat Willie uh-huh. and all the anim- animation for the skeleton dance. Right. So those first two really iconic which Mickey are Mouse also in The Simpsons. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> Referenced again yep. in The Simpsons. So if you don't know the originals, you probably know the itchy and scratchy cartoon. That is true. <laughs> and so those those really iconic early animation films were obviously we think of Disney, yeah, but we don't think of poor old. You, you don't even know how to say his even, name. Don't even know how to say his name. Yeah, That's how. <laughs> That's how underrated the poor man was. Sadly, very sadly, they kind of had a falling out, as you could Mm, imagine, because mm. he kind of got a little bit jacked off with the fact that no one was paying attention to him and giving him the credit for these characters. And everyone was pretty excited about Disney because Disney was the showman. Disney was the guy who could sell everything. So in the end, he was like, Fuck you, Disney. I don't need you. And he went I'm out on his own. Make my own studio. And he did. And it was moderately I successful. I was going to say, and that's why we're still talking about Ewoks today. <laughs> All those classic Ewoks films <sighs> like. Um. <laughs> Keep at it. <laughs> but you know what? It's not all sad because they did eventually reconcile. Okay. So anyway, it's not their story. What happened was after um, Mary Spate working at Metro Golden Mire, which didn't last very long, she went and Lee, they both went and worked together at the Oob Iwerks yeah. Studios. And then they left. And then they left for Disney? <laughs> to go work at Disney. <laughs> was he just like, you... <laughs> He's like, why does this keep happening to me? That fucking guy, Disney. Every time it happens to me, he takes everything away. You can just imagine like that arch nemesisness that he must have felt. So they were there for a couple (laughs) of years and it was Lee who actually left first to go to Disney. Now, his brother Preston Blair already worked at Disney. So perhaps maybe there was some nepotism there. (laughs) Getting his foot in the door, who can say? But in 1940, he went over to work at the Disney Studios. Now... Animation, as I said, was pretty much the key way of making a living out of art at the time because it was seen as a very new form but also a form that lifted spirits, you know. Mm, It was a very family kind of medium. It was a way to kind of galvanise the American dream, um, you know, and it kind of in a lot of ways railed against the dark and painful realities of the Great Depression and the wars. And it was very much something that you could find work in because 
it was making money. And it's also very labour intensive as well. Oh so they would need God. so many animators as well. So incredibly labour intensive. Yeah. And a lot of that work went to women who were in the ink and mm. paint department. The ink and paint Gals. Yes, very famously known as the Ink and Paint Girls. Now, it's a really quite interesting, the history of these women and the department that they worked in because I think it's very, very indicative of the time mm-hmm. and it tells us a lot because these women were pretty much, they didn't have to be artists to yeah. work in the department because you could be trained up to do the work that you needed to do, which was mainly to paint on the cells. Yeah. Don't well, you, quite know how to. Yeah, you're gesturing mm. quite strangely for anyone who um, can't see you, which is everybody. I think <laughs> a lot of the sort of interview process oh, for hiring these girls. I see where this is going. They don't care was how good their art looks. They care how good the girls look. It's so true. Yeah. Often the training was about like a five-month period of unpaid training. To what? Learn, to learn the job itself. Oh, my God. And then you would get a starting wage of something like $16 a week, whereas like the head animators at the top, of course they're the guys at the top, were making something closer to about $300 a week. Mm. So huge disparity Mm. for all the work that they're doing. So I think really the history of Disney is a fascinating one to think about in terms of gender, in Mm. terms of class as well, because that's something else that plays into it hugely. And this is why I'm so really, sorry, excited (laughs) and fascinated by Disney. But I could go on. So where does Mary fit in on this? I could go on about about this. Let's come back to Mary. Is is this where she started? Did she end up coming over into the. So she totally bypasses. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, if she has her qualifications and she's been working for. Correct the other nemesis studio, then surely she's not ending up in the trenches. That's right. I guess this would have been what she would have been doing had she not been qualified and had she actually probably more likely had she not been married to the right dude. That's right. Even with her qualifications, had she not been married to the right dude. her talent and skill because let's like, let's not get anything wrong here. Like, she's a phenomenal artist. Oh, no doubt. So everything that she does as an artist, she deserves. Yeah. But definitely she had some doors open to her that a whole bunch of other artists I'm sure there was a lot of other very talented artists working in those paint rooms. Absolutely. And they would not have had the same... Mm sorts of opportunities so as an artist I suppose right she's she's been out in the world working in animation for a little bit but she's still sort of finding her way and I guess she's still got a bit of that sort of watercolor background that watercolor realism but she's also starting to work with something much more abstract even more abstract than the California School of Watercolor and she's playing with color and shapes and Uncle Walt because I just (laughs) let's just roll with it he already recognized something in her art Mm. that was different and unique and free Mm. and special. Let's say special. special. So she started working as a conceptual artist on Dumbo and Lady (gasps) and the Tramp and Fantasia because this was – so this was when she came in – A conceptual artist, so she's up with the big boys. Yeah, she's up with the big boys. In the creative room drinking whiskey at lunch. I don't know whether she was drinking whiskey at lunch or not, but let's say she was. Sure. They were. Somebody was. (laughs) So this is shortly after the release of Snow White. Yeah. 
which was the success mm. that everybody mm. was hoping it was going to be. But she didn't stick around for very long, actually, with the Disney company. And it's hard to find a definitive reason mm. for why, but she did actually quit for a period of so, time. But she had been working on, like, Lady and the Tramp, Dumbo. Yeah, not as an animator, but basically as somebody that would come up with general kind of concept art. So this isn't even art that finds its way into the movies. But it's what the animators are then basing their style on. It's what they're using to help them. Yes, it's what they're yeah. using to help refine those characters yeah. and those backgrounds and the whole atmosphere and ambiance yes. or whatever of the film itself. Yeah. But I think that what happened was that she wasn't finding that her art was really being appreciated and there were some real restrictions on her kind of artistic expression, mm. I guess. So she took a step back from Disney and was like, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. However, Lee carried on working at Disney and in 1941 he was invited to accompany Uncle Walt on what was known – this is so weird. On what was known as a good neighbor trip. Okay. Right? So in the 1930s, the American government had started this thing called the good neighbor policy. Of course they, they of did. Of course they had. And it was really championed by President Roosevelt when he came in to, to office. Yeah. And it was this idea that America was going to step out of politics in Latin America. They what? were going to okay. take a non-interventionist approach because right. you know that lasted they'd fucking dabbled quite a bit yeah. up to that point yeah. in uh, latin american politics and that they were actually just going to sort of promote a much more wholesome mm. and neighborly extend a much more neighborly hand okay. to sure. their latin american neighbors sure right but of course what this really meant was this would help them with economic sort of, <laughs> of you know because yeah, okay. if you're not Having military influence in, uh, you know. Saving a bit of money. Exactly. And also more countries will trade with you. Yep. Because you're not fighting that country or that country or that country. So you've opened up a whole bunch of economic doors. Makes sense. But this also led to the establishment of this weird thing called the Office for Inter-American Affairs, which was headed up by Nelson Rockefeller. Okay. So weird, right? And this was basically a propaganda. Is this a propaganda office? This was basically a propaganda machine. Okay. And it was designed to construct the way (laughs) that Latin America was was, no was represented in America. And and vice versa. Right. And how America would be represented in Latin America. Mm -hmm. Because they wanted to sort of break down this stereotypical idea that Americans were just, you know, part of the industrial machine. Working for the man, as yeah. we said before, whereas, you know, they were kind of like, oh, we, and we want to break down these kind of like derogatory stereotypes about Latin Americans that persist in America. Okay. And it's interesting. It feels when, very suspicious. It but does. Okay. So I tell you now. Yeah. The next time you watch a film, any mm. film that you like from like the 19th, late 1930s, 1940s, oh. that involves any Latin American characters okay just keep in mind that there was interesting all these cogs and a whole government office dedicated to their representation precisely and carmen miranda was their poster child wow carmen miranda was basically like she was already famous in brazil she was already a star but this entire good neighbor policy i had literally no idea that any of this existed i know Wow. It's 
so wow okay interesting i will be keeping an eye out for that in things from the late 30s and 40s now what does this have to do with lee so the uh, old president roosevelt said hey uncle walt Uh how about you head on down to latin america and you get some inspiration and make some animated films about Latin America okay. to share with our U.S. friends back, okay. back here in the U.S. Sounds okay. And because <laughs> Disney was a good old patriot. Uh-huh. He, he did it. He did and it. And he took Lee with him. So, yeah, there's a story that I read, and I don't know how true it is, but there's a story I read that said that Mary, like, stormed into Disney's office and demanded that if Lee was going on she this trip, to. she had to go on the trip yeah. as well. Good for and her. he was like, sure. Right. <laughs> you don't- so she stops and she's like, Uncle Walt, I demand to go on this trip. I love how you do as a, as a Southern yeah, Belle. I don't, yeah, it just comes she's out. Like, I don't work for you anymore, <laughs> but you're going to take me on this trip to Latin America. And okay, Walt's like, whatever, sure. I don't care. All right, get on the plane. Whatever. So they all head down, Walt and his little crew of illustrators, all head down to Latin America and they spend they months. They made cocoa. Sure. <laughs> they did. So they spent months traveling around, collecting sketches, drawing mm-hmm. the people, drawing the places and learning to dance. Uh-huh. It's apparently Part of the trip <laughs> as well. They had to stop off at different places and learn to samba. Because <laughs> that's what you do as a good neighbour. Of course. I embrace your you culture. You embrace all elements of the culture. Please teach me to samba. It's uh-huh. not all stereotypical. Did they also learn to salsa? I think they may have. Mm-hmm. I really think they may have. <laughs> but the interesting thing here, though, is that Mary's style as an artist begins to really shift and change. Mm. So now she really starts to come into her own as an artist and her whole style begins to really grow. So if you look at her art, you'll see a lot of her art from this time traveling around Latin America is so incredibly free and there's all these broad brush strokes and Mm. jagged lines that fade out and everything's just so incredibly loose on the page I suppose okay in this way that Walt Disney absolutely adored oh good and good you would adore too looking at it so please google her art it's beautiful 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 work but the problem was uh-huh. you couldn't animate it. I was just going to say, like, how do you animate that? How, how do you, you animate, animate broad brushstrokes that, yeah. So mm, the problem. whole. Yeah, that is a problem. Exactly. Because the whole thing about, you know, thinking back to things like Snow White, Lady in the Tramp, whatever, is that all of those characters are very round characters mm. with very solid Conta- They've got to be contained. They've got to be contained. Yeah. Because those girls down yes. in down in fucking because because you, yeah you have to have that consistency from frame to frame yeah you need to be able to really draw those lines in precisely yeah. fill them in keep those colors consistent and her all of her art there's no way you could have made that yeah. consistent to animate so Walt became really quite obsessed with wanting to animate Mary Blair's art wanting to see it on the screen but all the animators began to really hate her because oh. they were like it can't be done we can't you're making anim- this impossible it's work impossible. for us it's impossible right. for us to animate her how art. dare you make us try to think outside the square it just can't be done 
So they returned from this trip, travelling around for, for quite a few months and gathering all of these sketches and ideas. And the two films that ended up coming out of this trip um, was The Three Caballeros and Saludos mm. Amigos. Okay. Which did have Carmen Miranda in it. Ah. So wrapped up into that whole yeah. propaganda machine yeah. again. So her art appears in these films more as like sort of static backgrounds. Okay. They get panned across. Sure. So it's kind of like... Yeah. We don't actually really see her work moving so much, except in one small short in The Three Caballeros where there's a little train that gets animated. And this is pretty much (laughs) the most quintessential Mary Blair animation that was ever made. Okay, I'm going to have to go look this up after. Yeah, and she herself said that it was really the only time that she felt she actually (gasps) saw her work on the screen moving that that was kind of the closest that she ever really felt to having her work really represented that feels kind of like lovely and devastating at the same time so she came back to work at disney after this because i guess that's what you do when somebody flies you around and taking you on a research trip you're like okay now i need you to actually implement those things into some work for me please and as i said walt was such a champion for her art he just loved it which is great actually which is that's such a nice story yeah i'm genuinely really pleasantly surprised and because as much as i like to bag out walt disney because he was a like he was a bit of a problematic dude yeah totally when he loved an artist's work, he would really go yeah. into that for them yeah. and f- and really throw himself behind them 100%. And that's exactly how he felt about Mary. He just adored her work. So she went on to work on some pretty problematic films that we would think were problematic now, but of course yeah. for the time of mine. So the, did, have you ever seen Song of the South? No. Mm. Oh. Um. <laughs> no, one, no one here can see the face that Alicia just made, but it was a face of... I, I can't describe it, but I'm sure you can understand yeah. based on the sound that she made. I think it's really interesting how Disney now is like revisiting its own canon and remaking so many of its yes, own films. It sure is. And it's remaking endlessly. Endlessly. And it's remaking them in these really interesting ways where it's still like it's, I guess it's kind of doing this thing where it's like, hey, look, ad women are badass now. Yeah. And like princesses can be cool yeah and feminist uh, yeah and yep, it's like yep, yep. i don't i don't have a huge problem with a lot of princesses in the past for not being feminists like <laughs> i don't like sit and watch you know a lot of i don't sit and watch the little mermaid and be like ariel if only you knew about <laughs> feminism <laughs> but the other thing but is look at this stuff <laughs> isn't, isn't it neat wouldn't you want oh, oh no different verses <laughs> anyway so we got that in there but at the same time, Ariel tells her dad where to stick it. So, yeah. hey, stick it to the patriarchy. Ariel, I think it's really interesting with the remakes, the way that they pick and choose the remakes that they are doing. And so I feel like that's a film they will never remake. Oh, yeah. Um, they're also definitely remaking films from millennials' childhoods because they know that that's the people that are going to spend money at the box office. Yeah, taking their children taking their to children. see them. Yeah. But even with something like... Dumbo with remaking Dumbo. Oh, that's true. They did. That's from a long time ago. Yeah, very long time ago. But even with remaking that, it's remade in this kind of very different light. I haven't seen the new Dumbo. Did they do anything about those crows? They just cut them out completely. Okay. I had a feeling they might do that. They don't even get... Yeah. (laughs) They don't even get a solitary mention. The literal crows. The (laughs) symbol... 
Yeah. 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 Jim Crow. One of yeah. them is actually called I know. Jim Crow. I know. I know. <laughs> but the interesting thing about what that. What the fuck, Disney? <laughs> what the fuck, Disney? Seriously. Seriously. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ. Sorry. It's just when you think about it, it's so fun. Okay, sorry. It is. Please do go on. But it's interesting though because <laughs> so they've taken them out, but then that also makes the feather completely irrelevant. Yeah. Right? Yes. But the feather's still in the – What's the story? They could have just made them not racist. Could you Maybe. though? Oh, no, I guess <laughs> the legacy is there. Yeah. The association but I think is that there, that's isn't it? interesting though because I think that why waste all this time like recreating it in this way that's kind of trying to erase the one that came mm. before in this hopes that we don't remember the one that's like, like, we'll forget that's how that's racist we'll Dumbo is. That's why we'll forget that that ever happened. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've seen this new – was there ever an old one? No. <laughs> like how does that work? Yeah. I don't think yeah. that works. I have a lot of feelings about this kind of this need to kind of rectify this yeah. Disney canon that's come before and this need to kind of make the princesses really badass yeah. because, you know, femi- you can sell feminism. You can put that on a T-shirt. Yeah. Total tangent about Disney. I have a lot of those. You have a lot of feelings I about it. I have so many feelings. <laughs> but anyway, this is all completely off track <laughs> because really the point of the story is, as I said, Mary goes on to continue to work now for Disney and her concept art is gorgeous and she ends up doing all this beautiful concept art for Cinderella as well it's sort of one of the key films that she works on now okay so even though her character development for loads of these different characters don't actually end up being what gets used in the film Mm. because as we said before like the animators were simply Mm. like it just we cannot be animated you can see that influence of her style running through the backgrounds, the colours, mm. the choices, the, the costumes, the dresses, yeah, right. all this sort of stuff. And can you see her concept art Yes, anywhere? you can. You could just Google right this second, wow, Mary okay. Blair, Cinderella, and you'll see it all I there. will do that when we have finished recording this. It exists out there in the world. It's very collectible stuff now yeah. as well. And you'll see just how beautiful and yeah. influential it really is. Because one of my favourite things on Instagram is I mainly follow, like, concept artists. Yes. And, indeed, there are some on your walls where we're recording right now. I own a lot of art from women who actually are animators at Disney right now. Yes. They're some of my favourite artists that I follow. And they are hugely influenced by Mary Blair. And you can see it in so much of their work. And you can actually see her style running through a lot of mid-century art in general and a lot of that sort of like pop culture influence, a lot of that is driven by this Mary Blair aesthetic. I really have to look this up so I know where I can see then those influences. She's incredibly important, especially with that use of colour. Yeah. And the way that she, she works colours together. One of the other animators who worked at Disney, Mark Davis, basically said that she was better than Matisse. She was better wow. than she was better than any <laughs> artist you could name Jeez. when it came to putting colours together. Right. She just knew how to do it. So this influence that she has in Cinderella, you can see it there. It carried through into her work on Alice in Wonderland, <gasps> which is another one of the ones that she's hugely oh, influential for. Of course. And that she did so much of the concept art for. Yes. Oh, I want to look that up. And then of course also into Peter Pan. Ah! Which, yes. yeah, 
Also, oh. another film that has oh yeah, problematic some for problematic many reasons. stuff yes, going yes, on yes, in that yes. with the uh, red yeah, Indian. Yeah, we know. We yeah, we dance. know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But in 1947, at the age of like 35, which is going to be old now, really, isn't it? To is, have a baby, is, is, is it? Oh, oh, oh dear. She had her first child, Donovan. 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 Yes. <laughs> Donovan. Happiness of course she named him Donovan. <laughs> and what had happened also in this time was that, of course, the war, the war happened. had happened. Lee had been conscripted into the oh. military and he'd been sent off to work on the East Coast. Okay, sure. So Mary was travelling back and forth between New York and California working yep. from Disney and Lee had also had enough of working for Disney as well and he set up his own business with a friend on the East Coast as Doing well. Doing some like some freelance work. Some Pretty much. Some advertising, yeah, okay. that sort of thing. Yeah. So Mary's travelling back and forth. Now she's having a child. Can this be sustained? Yeah. By the modern woman? Can it? In the mid-century? I don't know. It's or... pretty tough. It's pretty tough. But she carries on because she has this career. She wants to make it yeah. this career for herself as an artist. And so she carries on working for Disney and trying to juggle all of these other expectations of the mid-century mm. American woman, you mm. know. They're the first career women. Exactly. The first ones who this were entering into the workforce full time and juggling that. And at the same time, in no way, shape or form had their husbands really caught up to the fact that women were doing both the household and parenting duties and working at the same time. So basically never not working yeah. on something yeah. for someone. Yep. And so she also had another son, Kevin, came along Kevin. as well. Kevin. Sorry. Why'd you laugh at Kevin? It's just Kevin and Donovan. It's just, <laughs> you know, Sorry. So by the completion of Peter Pan, she decided it was all a bit too much too. and so she resigned Aww. from Disney. And, of course, as I said, Lee had left Disney a few years earlier and so now she went to join him in New York to focus more on being with her children, being with her family and to work as a freelance artist. So during this time she did a lot of ad campaigns for a lot of companies that you can find. She kind of came up with this sort of meadow gold child that's quite famous. She did work for like cigarette companies mm. as well because everyone was doing work yep. for cigarette companies. That's where the money was. So you can kind of imagine now like that sort of Mad Men. Ma- I was going to say, now we're in Mad Men. Now we're in New we? York, yeah. Mad Men. This is the world that she's now in. Now she really is having whiskey with lunch. Definitely. Most yep. definitely. But at the same time as well, she started working on lots and lots of children's books oh. because she wanted to still wanted to get this kind of art out into the world. And if you're not going to animate it, then you can put it in children's books. And you probably have sitting on your shelf somewhere at home Ooh. a bunch of golden books. I was books. literally just going to say, are they – I bet she illustrated golden books. My parents have all of my golden books. If you go through them, you'll find some Mary Blair ones in there. Excellent. And they're quite collectible. My favourite was the Tawny Scrawny Lion. Oh, I remember that one. Yeah, I don't know why I like that one. Oh, yeah. He was going to eat the rabbits and then the rabbits made friends with him and he ate a vegetable soup instead, which I feel like is quite foretelling of my future vegetarianism. <laughs> It was impregnated. In, <laughs> do you know what I think impregnated vegetarianism in me as a child? What? Was Duckula. Duckula. He was a vegetarian vampire. Of course he, he was. He was also a fucking duck. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes, he was. But hey. But he chose not to drink the blood of other ducks. And that somehow makes a show. So she made a lot of beautiful work during this time. But, of course, Disney just couldn't let her go. He loved her so much that. Did he chase her to New York? He didn't. Mary, Mary, come back. Mary, I can't be without you. No, but what happened was in the 1960s when Disney had sort of like been through, just to summarise Disney very quickly, there was a whole union labour thing where Disney decided to denounce many people as communists during Uh, McCarthyism and send them to jail. (laughs) Um, So we'll just add that to the like why Disney is a problematic man part. But he had started to move away from animation and started to focus on, of course, opening up theme parks. Yeah. This was what, his new love. Yeah. This is what he wanted to do. He sure did love he that, didn't sure he? sure did. So for the World's Fair, he started to design exhibitions and rides that would eventually end up in the Disney theme parks. Mm. And he asked Mary if she might not perhaps be interested in coming on board and designing something that would become... <gasps> It's a small world after all. It's a small world after all. Etc. I'm the lizard queen. <laughs> I am the lizard queen. Precisely. Yes. Which, of course, itself is also like a problematic-ish kind of ride. Yeah. But also a beautifully designed <laughs> problematic-ish kind of yeah. ride. It was very much about this celebration of... All the different children of the world. Yeah. And there was so much work done in researching the actual garments that these small, weird puppet, terrifying puppet (laughs) children wear. And the design that she made, she did the entire thing. From start to finish. It's yeah, all wow, Mary the Blair. entire thing. So if you, <gasps> ha, if anyone has Gosh, ever been on that ride. You know what, I never have. Ne- well, not yet. we've never been to Disneyland. No, sadly. Sadly. One of yet. these days. One of these yet. days. And it's all Mary Blair's art. And this, I, I suppose, was one of her kind of biggest legacies to the iconic world of yeah. Disney is the fact That's that... It's hugely iconic. That's one of the most... It's probably the most iconic Disney ride, right? I would say so. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so she designed this for the 1964 World's Fair for Disney and it wasn't necessarily designed to end up a staple for the parks, but Disney loved it so right. much. Like it, he loved all of her. He seems like a pretty he, big Mary Blair fan. He's boy. probably the biggest Mary Blair fanboy of them all. <laughs> and you can actually see, because Disney was huge on being the face of his own business. Of course. Obviously. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yes, very much so. Very much so. And so, of course, you can see him introducing movies and talking yeah. and on his yeah. show that he had and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. So um, when they were designing for the 1964 World's Fair, he had a lot of sort of presentations and films that he made at the same time. And in those you can see Mary Blair very briefly. Oh. He, he introduces her and asks her what she's working on and mm. she shows you. She's like, oh, I'm working here on the scale model of what's going to be It's a Small World. Wow. But he did have a really deep and abiding respect for her work. And I think he tried so hard throughout his career to get it animated on the screen. That's so good. And that I, makes me feel like a lot of the other shittiness is, yeah. you know, it's not that it's okay, but maybe it's leveled out. Maybe he's not, he's, maybe he's not, not all, all bad. bad. Yeah. But the other thing as well about that, which is important to me, is that 
This also led to what was really a huge shift in the whole Disney style and still now for me is my favourite Disney film, which is Sleeping Beauty. Uh Uh-huh. I love it. Because you identify so strongly with Maleficent. To really identify a lot with her. (laughs) She's very important to me. And you have a fabulous picture of yourself as Maleficent. (laughs) That is true. But the art in this film is really a huge leap from the art that had come before. And it's not Mary Blair's art, but it's another beautiful artist. Oh, another artist who my heart just melts for called Ivan Earl. Mm -hmm. And his art is gorgeous also spectacular when you go down the mary blair hole go down okay his hole as well all right we'll go down (laughs) his hole as well you should do that but when his carpet bag but when it gets (laughs) when it gets to sleeping beauty disney very specifically said he was like look we never managed to animate mary blair oh and he's like and i refuse to (gasps) let this happen again because she would have been getting on in age by this point wouldn't she yeah she was Mm. and she was still much more interested in freelancing and doing her children's books and she didn't I mean she came back to do this work for Disney and she did go on to do other work for him as well she did a huge enormous war mural at Disney's Tomorrowland she did a whole bunch of other sort of work in lobbies of hotels Mm. but she really wanted to focus on her own work and her family as well and so she had ended up working on more than just those films that I mentioned for Disney by the time she'd left she'd also worked on Johnny Appleseed Melody Time The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr Toad Sleepy Hollow and things take a little bit of of a sad turn. Oh, no. Because essentially what happens is Mary's had a pretty successful career as an artist. Yes. She's come into her own. (laughs) Yes, confirmed. She's come into (laughs) her own. She's really become quite iconic, and she is an iconic artist now. And sadly, I think poor Lee struggled with right. his wife's success. So he could never really live up to her and match her. Because they had started out with those same dreams of yeah. being fine artists. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, Mary, well, in always, Mary yeah. ended up being that artist that yeah. she wanted to be and finding that place. Whereas Lee, he'd Didn't. kind of given up on that dream and he'd never really made it. So he fell heavily into drinking and alcoholism. Oh. His alcoholism affected Mary and she also too became quite oh, no, a bit really? of an alcoholic, which <gasps> is really quite sad. And by the late 1970s, that had become really quite a huge problem in her life and she died of a cerebral <gasps> hemorrhage in July of 1978. Oh, she wouldn't have even been that old in she her 60s. No. So that's a bit of a sad ending. But at the same time... Everything that came before that is happy, beautiful, wonderful, lovely, (laughs) bright, and terrific. And she is recognized as a Disney legend. And that's actually in capitals. That's a real thing. Oh, really? Being a Disney legend is a real thing. Yeah. And of course, she's got millions of bazillions of fans of her art around the world, as I mentioned before. So many artists now that still will pinpoint her as an influence yep. and so yep. much yep. art that you can see that direct connection. Yeah. So many artists that are really kind of going back to what she was doing way back then mm. that they're mm-hmm. embracing and mm-hmm. doing now. Yep. And to think that it kind of really, 
a lot of that started with Mary Blair. Wow. All the way back in in the, the 40s in and the 40s and 50s, 50s and gosh. It's just and I had stuff. no idea who she was. And I think that you don't even this is part of that whole sort of art, I don't know, is it a prejudice or something, but maybe a lot of people probably don't think about animators in I, the same way that they think about yeah. artists. Because I think And that, even concept artists, because it feels like it is so tied to that industry mm-hmm. and because it's tied to an industry and it's tied to a product and it's yep. therefore has all of those associations with capitalism and we like to think of art as being really outside of that, right? Yeah. Yep. Like especially great art. Great yep. art is supposed to be very much beside the point of capitalism. Mm. And so we tend to perhaps not like iconicize, is that a word? Yes. Iconicize perhaps those artists who are making those really influential leaps and bounds yeah. within those industries. Yeah. I mean, that's just me speaking as somebody who didn't really know anything about any of this before. But I do think that's true today. because I do think that we do devalue a lot of those animated films as children's films. Yes. You know, that's the other big and, part of and it, isn't it's it? like this idea that yeah. children's films should be devalued for some reason. Whereas, yeah. of course, all of the most influential and inspirational art I can think of that you know, still sticks with me now is stuff that I embraced when I was a child Yeah, and is fine art. We don't sort of stop to think about all of the people who go into making those mm-hmm. films either because Disney was so phenomenally good at stamping his yes. name his pati- and his, his particular face. Yeah. yeah. And so I think that for a lot of us we watch these films and we sort of there's some strange kind of concept that like oh well Mr. Walt Disney animated this whole thing himself <laughs> surely. Well of, of course, course that's not. not. Of course that's not, not the case at all. And there are so many unsung yeah. heroes and also so many not just Mary Blair but so many other sort of names that have gone by the wayside. But I think are definitely coming back to the fore now as more artists kind of acknowledge those mm. influences that, and it's so had. easy to share these images now like i'm sure yes. i could probably just put hashtag mary blair into instagram and yeah. i have no doubt that a million things are going to pop yeah. up apparently she's the either like the second or the third most requested name at the disney library like wow they've got this enormous archive could you imagine going through oh the disney God. archive <laughs> they've got this enormous archives of art and apparently she's one of the wow. top people that people come in and request and her art even gets like dragged out now from those archives when they're making films now mm-hmm. and they're like oh let's go back and have wow. a look at this let's go back and have a look at that because i think you know something else important about this is that in those early days of animation when it was all hand drawn there was no rules there was nothing that had come before they were making Just everything ma- yeah up yeah yeah from scratch yeah well now next time i watch any disney from that period i will be seeing it through very very different eyes Ta-da! Excellent. Well, then my job here is done. (laughs) Well, thank you. That was such a nice contrast from like the last few weeks, which have been much, much, much darker. That was very light and bright and beautiful and uplifting and remained like really intriguing without any darkness, which sometimes (laughs) it feels like, can we tell a story that's like super interesting if it doesn't have any real darkness? (laughs) Well, I think, yeah. And I think that if anything, like hopefully it's just inspired everyone to just immediately search for images of her art. And then be like, oh, I see. Yeah. This is gorgeous. Yeah. And I'm sure we'll be sharing a lot of that on Instagram. Oh, yeah. The social medias. 
So, of course, uh, that leads us into saying Ooh. that if you would like mm, to follow indeed. us on the social medias, you can, of course, find us at Deviant Women. And you can also find us on Patreon where you can get all kinds of behind-the-scenes content. We've just recently released a blooper reel. We also have our Holes in History series, which gives you extra bonus episodes into some of history's forgotten women. And that will keep rolling out over the summer slash winter, depending on which hemisphere <laughs> you live in. So when this season's wrapped up, if you want to still get some mm. more Deviant Women content in your life, you can find it there. And if you would like any Deviant Women merchandise, you can find us on Etsy for your T-shirts and pins. And as always, if you've listened this far into the episode, then we assume that you've been interested. <laughs> I don't know. In which case, perhaps you'd like to leave us a review or a rating. And as always, a very big thank you to Brendan Davies for the sound, India Hui for the music, and to Dan, our executive producer. And we'll see you in another two weeks for our very final episode of season three, end of the decade. What? Oh my gosh. And then when we come back, we'll all be flappers. Yay! Yay! So we'll see you next time. And until then, bye. bye.